Do you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt and are hoping that you're in the correct repayment program? If you're going for public student loan forgiveness, do you have any strategies on how to hedge against any of the unforeseen issues that come with public student loan forgiveness? Well, today we're going to talk with student loan expert Travis Hornsby on all of these issues and more. Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. Hello and welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman. Today, we're going to be talking with Travis Hornsby, founder of studentloanplanner.com. Travis has dedicated his entire career to helping those that have student loans create the optimal repayment strategies. Travis is extremely knowledgeable in the subject of student debt, and I get super excited to talk to people who are experts that truly understand student debt and everything that goes into them. We talk everything from public student loan forgiveness and who qualifies and what would actually disqualify you from public student loan forgiveness. We talk about strategies of hedging against the unforeseen issues of public student loan forgiveness. We even talk about, you know, who should go for public student loan forgiveness and who should refinance and what refinance looks like and the process, a little bit on the process of refinancing. On a personal note, My wife, Taylor, as you guys know, is a pediatric pulmonologist. And as she was going through training, we were on IBR. And when we made the decision to leave the public student loan forgiveness space and to get and to refinance our debt, it was a big decision. It was something that we didn't take lightly that we put down the numbers and really wanted to understand what we're doing with our debt. And if we want to try to go for public student loan forgiveness or not. We knew that she could qualify in terms of employment um, because she wanted to work at a university and all that kind of stuff, uh, 501c3. But when we looked at the strategy that we wanted to take and trying to maximize our tax deferred accounts and the savings and the, the way that we actually wanted to live, we realized that it wasn't for us and we ended up refinancing. While this might not be for everyone, inside of this episode, we do primarily talk a lot about public student loan forgiveness and the pros and cons of that and what the administration is looking at doing. But that doesn't mean it's the only option. It's one of these things that, uh, you know, personal finance is personal. And this conversation with Travis was really meant to aid and assist people who wanted to stay in the federal program and to understand what all the repayment options are and all the stuff kind of coming down the pipeline. Also, before today's show, I want to make sure to announce this important disclaimer. I am a fee-only financial planner and a fiduciary for my clients, but let's be honest, I don't know you or anything about you. The show is for educational purposes only and shouldn't be taken as legal or financial advice. Please consult your attorney, CPA, or your fee-only financial planner before you take any action or make any important financial decisions. Before we jump into the episode, here is this week's digestible tip. If you're done with training and you're actually out earning a real salary, and your loans are still in the federal program, whether it's IBR, repayee, pay, doesn't matter which repayment option it is. If your loans are still in the federal program, and if you were to refinance out, and then refinanced payment would be higher, my tip to you is to save the difference between the two. Almost to live like you've refinanced, even though you're in the federal program. So to put some numbers to it, if you were to refinance your debt and your payment was to be 3000 a month, but being in the federal program allows you to only pay $2,000 a month, my tip is to save that extra $1,000 a month, whether it's to your IRAs or 401ks or 403bs. If you max all those out, save it in a taxable account and invest that money per your risk tolerance. Travis, welcome to the podcast, and I appreciate you being on. Good to be here. If you could let our listeners know just a little bit about you and uh, your situation. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I used to be a bond trader for the Vanguard funds, actually. So I was trading, you know, billions of dollars and talking to Wall Street people every day. It was real exciting. And then I met my now fiance. We started dating and she told me that she had a student loan problem. I said, what does that mean? Uh, And she's like, well, you know, I have some med school debt. Well, I said, well, how much? And she's like, well, it's six figures. 
I thought, oh my gosh, you know, because I was really lucky, went to a state school, just graduated, went mm-hmm. straight into the business world, and I had no clue that med school was so expensive, you know. And surprise, surprise. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm looking here at this med school stuff, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm a finance person. I can figure this out. So I went in and I started trying to understand, you know, okay, maybe we refinance it or, you know, what, what's the best thing to do? And then I found out that there's this public service loan forgiveness program. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, well, okay, well, I know that she's in fellowship and she's at this 501c3 hospital and she's probably going to be taking a job at an academic hospital as a professor. So clearly this is the right thing to do, right? And so I researched it a bunch. This is like a couple years ago. I had her send in all the documents to Feblin Servicing that they said to send in. And then we got this piece of mail back and it was like so ridiculous. It was so hard to figure this out. So I had to build this spreadsheet because I had a lot of Excel skills as a bond trader. Mm-hmm. So I just modeled kind of like all the different options that she had from refinancing to like going for loan forgiveness to doing something completely different and just helped her come up with a plan. And then she suggested one day, you know what, like our friend, she's got a lot of student debt. She's a veterinarian. She's not even a doctor, but you should help her too. And so she was the first client that, you know, uh, I actually charged to make a plan for. About a year later, uh, I've got over 430 clients, about $120 million in student loans that I've personally made a plan for. So it's kind of crazy. So that's basically the story of Student Loan Planner is I just shared this calculator online and it just kind of grew like gangbusters. And uh, people, I guess, have a lot of student debt and have a lot of questions about it. So uh, Absolutely. That, that's amazing. Yeah. How many clients are you at now in about a year? About 430. 430. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. Yeah. And I know from firsthand, just working through clients at Physician Wealth, that student loans are extremely complex and complicated. They can definitely benefit from, from someone like you that is a pretty affordable route to just tackle student debt, which is one piece of the, the financial planning uh, puzzle. So that's pretty neat. So you'd said that you, um, you said you're engaged to a, a physician and what are your guys' plans for, for tackling it? What ended up working with your Excel sheets? <laughs> so this is kind of where I learned how ridiculous the fellow and servicing people are and just how ridiculous the whole process is really. Cause she'd been in a 501c3 hospital for one, one at the time that I met her for about six or seven years in training. So she had been an ob resident for four years, and then she went on to a urogynecology fellowship, and she was in her third year of that when I met her. And so we were expecting that we would get this form back, and it would say, okay, you've been making income-based payments for seven years, and now you've got three years left to go, and we can cap out the payments and just three more years left, and then we'll have you know a bunch of loans forgiven, and we'll throw a you know, a party, it'll be great. And then they sent the paperwork back and they like lost a bunch of our forms. And so they claimed that we had like three years worth of credit on one pair of loans and and only like one month of credit on another pair of loans. Wow. I was just like, there's no way that this is right. And so I felt like they lost some paperwork with transferring over from Great Lakes. I just thought it was just a mess. And uh, yeah. (laughs) And so- it was just nuts. So, so I ran the analysis again and I realized, so apparently she had consolidated her loans like at the very end of residency, which is oh. generally speaking a big mistake, yeah. you know? And so she lost all that credit during residency mm-hmm. and then she had used forbearance during fellowship, maybe like for six months or something like that. Oh wow. You know, cause she's living in a big city in the Northeast. So she was trying to enjoy life and absolutely um, not knowing you know, what that actually followed meant. Through and meant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So basically I ran the numbers and just realized like for us, because she was going to be an attending and we were going to hit the cap basically immediately that to do PSLF and get charged all the 6.8% interest versus just doing a refi with a two something percent variable interest rate with a Mm -hmm. five year with a private lender, just paying it off, found that that was just generally like the better thing to do. Well, I mean, better thing probably from a time perspective, because you know, just kind of looking at the process and the just the crazy pain that it causes to go through Fed Loan Servicing's process, we were thinking the difference ended up only being like ten grand for us between oh. refinancing it and yep. just doing PS Life. And so we were looking at that and just thinking, well, yeah, we could maybe save some money, but man, that's going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> so yeah, and we, for, so for your guys' financial situation, it it made sense to to actually refinance and pay it off aggressively versus try to 
stick in through PSLF and suffer out through several more years. And <laughs> and payments. yeah, and there was another thing to that too. Our thought process was we she would need to be in seven years in medicine at a five hundred one c three more to get credit on even just part of the loans. You know, the other part theoretically she'd have to do ten years and. Our thoughts was maybe we don't want to be at 501c3 hospital for the next seven years, you know? Like, we've got a lot of dreams, goals. She would love to do some medical mission work in Africa, doing surgeries there. You know, maybe we might like to take some time off and travel, and Mm -hmm. uh, who knows what our future holds. And so thought process there is just if you're going to plan on a forgiveness benefit, like, you better be doggone sure that you're committed to staying there for the number of years that it's going to take to get it. Otherwise, you're going to feel trapped. And and also her balance was a lot less than most physicians. So she had about 124,000, which a lot of people, listeners mm-hmm. will be listening and think, oh my gosh, like she's so privileged. <laughs> I know. And, you know, because I see balances all the time that are way higher than that. And certainly if, if she had had a balance that's much higher, I think we would have probably just sucked it up and tried to go for it. You know, so we, we're about halfway through it. So we paid out about half of it so far. Really stoked about that. She's down to take kind of the longer road to paying it off. And I'm even though it's only like a 2% something and in theory we should get more money investing, I just hate the idea of debt that's not backed with any assets. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, yeah, let's just throw everything at it, you know, because I yeah, just, I just, that's the finance guy in you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of advisors would theoretically tell you, hey, you know, it's actually smart to invest in, you know, index funds and SP 500 and then take your time paying down to something percent variable interest rate debt because of the way the math works. I think that's true, but from a behavioral standpoint, like so much of everything in the world is emotion and behavioral finance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think that once that debt's gone, we're going to have enough, whether she's working part-time or I am or whatever, to just live. And so that's kind of the big thing. It's just, hey, tomorrow, if something happened and she wasn't doing medicine, like, could we be good? And to me, like that student loans is the thing that's standing in the way of, of that being the case. So that's been our thought process is just to kind of get rid of it as fast as we can and I, I joked with her that we should throw her a net worth zero party. So we were going to, you know, invite some people over and get excited about it because, uh, you know, I think she just crossed like the zero net worth threshold with, you know, because she's got some retirement and stuff like that, too. Absolutely. That's a that's a huge milestone. I mean, it sounds silly to everyone else that's not in medicine or hasn't taken on several hundred thousand in debt. But that that's a big milestone and should be celebrated. The wins should yeah. be celebrated. Oh, yeah. I think you got to do something that makes you excited about dealing with your debt, like, you know, for the PSLF folks out there, you're going to want to pay the, as little as possible. And so that's kind of counterintuitive. But, you know, you want to maximize retirement accounts. You want to put money into health savings accounts, do things to minimize your income. And so maybe you, you'd throw a party when you put the max in your 401k. Like every time you max out your 401k, 403b, you know, you have people over, you know, you, you get excited and, you know, bring the champagne and stuff like that. And if you're trying to pay down the debt because you've refinanced and you're trying to pay down aggressively, then maybe just do something where every, you know, thousand bucks you pay off, like you do something fun or come up with some sort of threshold. Absolutely. Share the wins, enjoy them. There's so much uncertainty and complexity around student loans and, and most advisors don't really understand it. They take the Dave Ramsey approach and just say, hey, pay off the, the highest interest rate first and go down and you shouldn't have debt and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's one of the reasons why I was really excited to have you on the show today is, is to have another student loan expert kind of share his situation. And, and it's unique that you're actually going through it, living through it with your fiance, similar to how I am with, with my wife. She had about 130000 in debt that she had taken out. And we ended up refinancing because our plan was to stick with PSLF, work for 51C3, and then about uh, five years into the program, decided that it wasn't going to be the perfect fit for us when we wanted to move and do things. So we refinanced it in a not typical way. But when we did that, uh, her balance had ballooned to about 180000 Wow. I know that um, many physicians out there aren't lucky enough to marry someone who's a CFA or a financial planner. And so this is uh, one of the reasons why I was so excited. So one of the things that, that you've, you've mentioned a few times is that there's public student loan forgiveness or PSLF. And you've mentioned a little bit about some of the payment options. So if you could just dial it back for a minute and let the listener understand what programs are available uh, in the income-based, income-contingent, you know, direct loan program, and what exactly PSLF is, mm-hmm. just so we can go through and have a, a little bit of a foundation before we take the next step into uh, into the conversation. 
Yeah. So in 2006, the government decided, okay, we're going to pass this law that's going to give anybody in a 501c3 or government employer uh, loan forgiveness after they pay based on their income for 10 years. When they did that, they didn't set any caps. They didn't define it very well. It was supposed to be a bunch of thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars borrowers that might work at a charity instead of taking a job as an entry level corporate employee kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they designed it in such a way that it was really broad based and very wide ranging. Because of the definition with five hundred one c threes, most physicians are going to be five hundred one c three employees during training. So that basically means that every physician in the or almost every physician in the world, there's a couple like for profit residencies, but you know, is going to have four to seven, eight years of PSLF credit once they're done with training. If you think about that, so say you have 300,000 in loans and you're going to be a urologist and you're going to do maybe a fellowship or something like that. So maybe five, six years of training. Well, you only have four years left where you would work at a academic type hospital or a 501c3 hospital as an attending and you could probably get around two to 300,000 after the interest accrual forgiven. Mm-hmm. So that's a tax-free benefit. And so for folks who have really large loan balances, it's a massive benefit to going and working at one of these hospital systems instead of going into private practice. So it's kind of stacking the deck pretty hard against going into private practice if you've got a lot of loans, at least for the first several years as an attending. So that's the kind of the history of the program. And the program initially was just IBR, so you're making 15% of your income and in payments and then in 2011, they started the pay-as-you-earn program. Mm-hmm. So that's 10% of your income. And so that's obviously better than 15 if you're trying to go for loan forgiveness because you want to pay as little as possible. In 2015, they created the repay program. The repay program is like pay, except it's 10% of your income and there's no cap on loan repayment. So generally speaking, if you're a physician trying to go for PSLF, you need to either be on the repay program or the pay program. Uh, there's a couple weird exceptions, like for people who have had loans, like from a long time ago. But generally speaking, pay or repay, and you kind of want to think about it in terms of, am I at risk at all of hitting the 10-year standard monthly payment because of my marriage situation and because of you know how big my family size is, whatever. And if you are at risk of hitting that 10-year standard cap, then it's probably better to be on pay as you earn. And if you're gonna blow through it because you're making tons of money. Uh, say you have 200000 in loans, but you know, you're an attending, I don't know, gastroenterologist or something like that, and you're going to blow through that, then you might want to be on pay as you earn because it caps you out on that 10-year standard payment amount and still gives you the opportunity to probably have six figures of loans forgiven. Mm-hmm. So I see all the time advisors who are less informed about student loans and things like that, just doing, you know, the Dave Ramsey, Susie Arman, you know, Start throwing money at your debt. Get out of debt as fast as you can. And that's great advice from a general perspective, but it's it's very uninformed when it comes to student loans because there are so many nuances and things that exist in that market where you have to know everything or else you can make a big mistake. You know, I just helped a, an advisor recently who was going to suggest refinancing to his two physician clients and uh, wanted my expertise on that to see if that was the right thing. And I pointed out that you know, he was thinking about it in the wrong way and it was going to cost his clients a hundred grand in, in projected loan forgiveness by doing the refinancing. Yeah, that's so, typical. Yeah, so you really got to understand it carefully. But in terms of your options, you got pay and repay, which is the ones you should probably use. You've got IBR and then I joke about this, but then you have ICR, which is what uh, fly-by-night legal clinics in South Florida that, you know, try to rip people off mm-hmm. uh, sign you up for. I joke about that because I've literally actually seen that multiple times random, you know, like places kind of all run by paralegals with a lawyer just robo-signing stuff, uh, you know, saying that they help with student loans, uh, sometimes sign wow. you up for the ICR program. And that's 20% of your income. That's so that's a, a very foolish uh, thing to sign up for. That's but, ludicrous. Um, yeah, so those are the four options. Perfect. Well, so now I want to transition a little bit over because it's been a pretty hot spot right now with what the government and the administration's doing with how PSLF is, is going to continue. Will Trump repeal it? And now we've got um, our first guys starting to go through, I believe they're actually all attorneys, uh, that are the first borrowers that are set to hit the 125 qualified payments. You know, How do you see this playing out? And, and what are some of the changes that are the administration's already trying to make in terms of 
public student loan forgiveness and, and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. The first thing is they're trying to shut PSLF down starting in the fall of 2018. They want to shut it down for new entrants into it. And what I mean by new entrants into it is anybody who is taking out loans for a course of training for the first time in 2018 would be ineligible for PSLF based off of it not being present in their promissory notes. Mm -hmm. So that's what the current proposal is. That would be something that would not affect anybody who already has student loans and who's already out of med school. So those folks would be totally safe based off of the current proposals that I've seen. What's more unclear to me is somebody who just started med school this year, this fall 2017, who's just starting. The way the proposal seems like it's written is that person gets access to all of the repay, pay, PSLF options for the duration of their course curriculum. So that's the way I read it. So I tend to think that people who've started med school this fall and before are also safe, but it's harder to figure that out. We haven't really seen anything about that yet. And they really don't even know what they're doing either. No. They're, they're creating stuff and going, oops, no, well, actually that probably won't work. Let's try this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because like PSLF repeal is also the biggest worry for my readers because I know from my blog traffic that that's what everybody freaks out about. <laughs> so absolutely. Every, when, every client has a question about that too. It, it, you know, yeah. my clients at, at Physician Wealth, they're just, they're asking you know, what is going on? Am I screwed with this or is this going to actually go through or do they have any legal grounds to remove this from me? Yeah. Well, you know, here's what's fascinating, I think. If you want to think about PSLF, you have to think about it from a expected value framework. I'll get a little weird and technical and just talk about the odds of a bet, right? So if you had a 50-50 odds and you win a dollar if you flip heads and you lose a dollar if you're flip tails, that's a 50 cent bet. So you pay 50 cents for that bet. So that's an even bet. So if you think about PSLF basically is is a bet is what it is. It's something that doesn't have 100% certainty. So how do you make decisions when there isn't 100% certainty? Uh, And I've thought a lot about this. And here's kind of a way to think about it. Say you've got a program that could prospectively result in you receiving $100,000 tax-free benefit. And let's say that the downside is that you did not refinance when you could have and therefore you cost yourself an additional 2% interest on $200,000 for seven years because you're trying to make this decision when you're you know, coming out of residency or you're in your final couple years of training or something like that. Mm-hmm. So worst case scenario, if you run that math, the downside on the interest savings for not refinancing, maybe it's, I don't know, 20000 bucks. And if you compare the $20,000 in the cost of not refinancing and being wrong about PSLF to the $100,000 benefit if PSLF happens, and clearly if the odds of PSLF uh, happening are 50-50, you'd be silly not to go for the PSLF route, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's 50-50 odds. I think the odds are more like 80-20 to 90-10 that PSLF happens without a cap for everybody that currently is working towards it. Uh, absolutely, uh, I would agree. I would agree with yeah. that. And and you mentioned the cap, so uh, I know Obama tried to cap it at, at like fifty seven thousand five hundred or something along those lines. Obama tried to cap it. Do you think that that is something that this administration would do? The short answer is no. The long answer is that if you look at the twenty fifteen repeal proposals by both parties, uh, Obama wanted to cap it because he viewed it basically as a an, an upper class uh, sort of giveaway, right? Mm-hmm. And to be frank, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it is a lot of folks that are higher income that are benefiting from this. That was his reasoning, and you know, his own party basically shut him down. And then for Republicans, they tried to repeal it, but they grandfathered in current borrowers. That was their proposal in 2015, and they did nothing with a cap because a lot of their primary constituents or high income earning people right? So Mm -hmm. those people really care a lot about things that affect them and PSLF is one of them. So, uh, you know, not wanting to antagonize probably a core element of their, you know, support and constituents, they they didn't cap it. So, you know, there is a risk that it does get capped. I mean, that is, I factor that in into the 10 to 20% repeal probability because I view that as kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. But the the issue to, to think about is if you did do that, what would be the consequences? Like I always like to talk to people, okay, you're worried about PSLF, uh, you know, repeal happening for a $60,000 a year public defender. That's a really big concern. And we need to talk about that and talk about what that would look like if that went away Mm -hmm. for a physician, even a pediatrician making 130,000, 
there's a whole lot you can do, even if your loan balance is 300 grand. So the first thing you got to do is you putting away a bunch in retirement. The second thing is getting a good financial planner like you to make a plan and for their goals and for their life. And then if that person's comfortable managing their own investments, then they need to put that money that they would have paid into the loans aggressively in a side account where they're building wealth there instead. So Mm -hmm. if you want to be kind of cautious, maybe you do something kind of moderate, like 50-50 stocks, bonds, a balanced fund. Vanguard's got a great one, the tax-managed balanced fund, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of money that you might need to pull out and and contribute to a lump sum to loans. So over seven years, hypothetically, let's say you put $2,000 a month that you would have put into your student loans into this tax-managed balanced fund instead, you've got 24,000 times seven. So say you've got like, plus investment earnings, say in seven years, you've got 180 to $200,000 and say your loan balance in that time has grown from 250 to 350 or something like that. Mm-hmm. You could easily take your 200,000 and lump sum it into the loans. Uh, and now you got 150 left and then you can just start aggressively paying it down from there. Yeah. And you have basically completely hedged against your risk so that it goes away. Yeah. So I mean, that's, it's not that, ideal, but at least it's a, it's a hedge against the unforeseen with PSLF. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, certainly what will happen is if you put all your money into your loans and PSLF does happen, you'll be kicking yourself, you yeah. know? And and another thing is a lot of people make decisions based off of loan forgiveness. I think that's pretty, I don't want to, you know, make this sound insulting, but I think that's silly to do that. Somebody asked me the other day, it was really interesting. It was um, a specialist who's going to make about 400 grand and they had maybe about a, a little bit of a loan repayment assistance from the employer. And the thought process was, well, you know, should I be more interested in this job because of the loan forgiveness benefit? I explained what's even better is a guaranteed salary amount that just goes into your pocket that you can use for anything. And the only reason to give a loan forgiveness benefit is like a retention type effort to make you feel like you can't leave because, you know, you haven't fully vested in your benefit. So, you know, I think that there's um, a lot of decisions being made out there around PSLF that, I don't think it should necessarily be the game decision type thing, you know, in terms of what kind of job you take or in terms of what kind of hospital system you work at. Like, you got to enjoy getting up every day. Even, you know, even three years is a long time to to spend at a hospital that you don't want to be at because, you know, you're trying to get some loan forgiveness benefit. Like, if being in an academic hospital really suits your personality and and you really love it and you love the idea of teaching residents and more collegial work environment and and maybe you're doing fewer procedures and you have easier expectations on you from an RVU perspective, if that's the kind of lifestyle that appeals to you, then great. Like, do that. Oh, by the way, PSLF exists. Take advantage of it. But, you know, on the flip Mm -hmm. side, if you're the kind of person that loves doing entrepreneurial things and loves the idea of being a partner in your own practice and making hiring and firing decisions and buying in and having equity in something and making probably a lot more money than you would as a employee at a hospital system, then certainly, you know, receiving, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 even of loan forgiveness over maybe a five-year period of time is not a good decision. You know, I mean, if you think of even about 200,000, divide that by five. So that's 40000 a year. Could you make more than $40,000 a year going private practice instead of working at a hospital system? Mm-hmm. Uh, for most physicians, the answer is probably yes. You just got to realize like PSLF, I know it's, it's something that really freaks people out, but it shouldn't. Like you should view it as a positive thing that just exists. Like uh, absolutely. Why, you know, why be, why be worried about something that could save you 100000 bucks? Like just set your finances up to take advantage of it. And if it doesn't happen okay, like you just deal with it. You know, there's all kinds of ways to optimize finances to put yourself in a good position for either side of it. Mm -hmm. And this is a conversation I usually have with clients um, at Physician Walt that we we tackle these issues and look at the goals and, and see where they'd be happier. And that's something that it's sad that a lot of physicians don't think about. They don't think their own happiness. They are Almost it's that analysis by paralysis or, or lack of analysis. They just stick their head in the sand. They get terrified when they look at loans. They feel ashamed that they've taken out loans. And I, I try to relate it to, you know, you took out a loan on a business and the business just happens to be in your brain and that, you know, it's going to provide a very solid income base. And, you know, if you that business generates 250000 you had to take, you know, 400000 of debt out for it. That's not bad from a business perspective, but the behavioral side of it is always a challenge, always a challenge. And, and I love that, you know, you're not someone that's just advising, like you're, you're putting, you know, your money where your mouth is. 
it's exactly what you've done with with your fiance and you know i think it's quality advice and the only thing i'd add to it is not just about the money but but really what is important to you it's what kind of job and hours and what kind of work would you be doing while you're there don't make student loans be the only thing you're worried about it should be when you get up are you happy to go do what you're doing and physicians they don't want to they they didn't get into being a physician to make money and and uh to to have the biggest balance sheets it it just doesn't work that way it it'll happen over time but it's it's definitely not quick and i kind of want to roll it into one of the articles you you had said was uh this doctor versus plumber, which one was the better decision? And I want you to kind of take over here in a second, but a lot of it, you're talking about assuming a a 50% savings rate. I love the comparison that you've made and, and how not only doing what you're doing, but, but also being conscious about what you're spending and, and how you're doing it. So if you can break down that article a little bit for the listeners who haven't read it, if you haven't read it, by the way, go to studentloanplanner.com and find the article on Dr. Verse Plumber because it's a good one. It's eye-opening. Well, it was a little tongue-in-cheek, and I think that there's no way that my fiancé would agree to be a plumber after reading Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Even though that might be the better financial decision. No, I mean, like, if you look at the math behind just being a physician in the modern era, it pretty much doesn't work out for all but the highest income private practice type people compared to what a similarly intelligent person could do in some other field. And what I mean by that is if you're smart enough to pass organic chemistry and get into med school and do all that, there's no question in my mind that you could get a job in tech, right? You could get a job in finance. You could get mm-hmm. a job doing something else. You know, that job would probably pay uh, 60, 80,000 a couple years in, depending on what kind of work you're doing. And, and if you compare it to a resident type job, I mean, gosh, like if you're working, you know, 80 to 100 hours a week in finance, you know, you're getting paid. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, you kind of compare the abuse that physicians take and you compare that to doing, you know, overtime or working tons of hours in another field. And if you uh, run that, those numbers, then and assume that you're saving a bunch of money as a plumber straight off the bat. Yeah. I mean, like you kind of come out with having a bigger portfolio as a plumber than a physician. So you might laugh and be like, oh, well, that's, you know, you're also, you know, digging in, you know, other people's uh, pipes and unplugging their toilets all day, you know? Yeah. It might not be the uh, most pleasant job, but, uh, well, I joke, you know, my, my fiance is a year gynecologist. So, you know, she one time like came home and was like, yeah, I was basically, you know, knee deep in, uh, you know, urine and feces all day. And, you know, I was like, oh, you could be a plumber, make more money. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, That's probably how the idea started for the article. But, you know, yeah, just to touch on the, on the article for the number standpoint, just real quick is you basically with some assumptions that are there so that at the age of 32, there's almost a million dollar difference in net worth favoring the plumber over a physician. And, and that's expected with med school and no earnings and then coming out and, and making 55,000 and working 80, 90, hundred hours a week. But that's a staggering number, a million bucks at age, yeah. at age 32. And it didn't, yeah, it didn't yeah. actually shift until age 41, regardless of public student loan forgiveness or not, that the physician's net worth actually exceeds the plumber. Yeah. People don't understand the time value of money. So I talked to a doctor the other day who maybe had a couple hundred thousand saved up in assets. Uh, it was in their 40s and had um, you know a little bit of home equity, a little bit of equity in, in their partnership, and uh, but it was only worth maybe, I don't know, 400, 300, uh, 500,000, something like that. And they were in their mm. mid to late 40s. You know, like I'm not a financial planner. I, I like to just focus on the student loan side of things. But I told him, I said, dude, you got to talk to somebody because your plan right now is I'm going to work till I'm 70. And the reason being is a lot of times doctors, they have a really high future income. And so they do consumption smoothing. So they they take money and spend some more money in the present uh, to maybe enjoy life a little bit as a resident in more um, real terms. Like me, my fiance was like, dude, she's like, you know, when I just got done with an 80 hour a week, you know, I was definitely ordering takeout like every day. And when we had time off, we're going out and like going to brunch and trying to enjoy life as much as we can. And like when you come home after like a 24 hour shift, you know, you want to go to like a nice apartment to like sleep because you just, you want to have something nice in your life. So Mm -hmm. I think there's just so many pressures, even for really good, responsible, frugal type people in medicine to just maybe spend a little bit more than you would otherwise. What that does is it just cause your savings rate in the beginning of your career to be really low. And then when you finally become a, uh, an attending, you either are going and, you know, having a lot of your money consumed with loans as a private practice type person, or you're going to, you know, the not-for-profit hospital world and probably, you know, take at least having, you know, 
a, a solid amount of it taken. Plus, you've deferred gratification for so long that you want to enjoy your life and do some nice things and take some nice trips and buy a bigger house and nicer cars and things like that. So the biggest challenge I guess I see with people with a bunch of student loans is just cash flow, figuring out what are your goals. And that's what a good financial planner should do, right? And, Absolutely. And you can speak to that. But you got to come up with what's important to you. And I think a lot of doctors, here's the good news. If, you, if you're in medicine, here's some great news. You can be 100% completely financially independent by 40 years old. Like we're talking, you know, a couple million bucks at least, living off of 80000 a year for the rest of your life, which is, you know, 50% more than the median household income in America. Mm-hmm. You know, that can be you. You don't have to be in medicine or you can make medicine optional is what I like to say at age of 40, basically regardless of your specialty. The only question is, is are you willing to do that? Are you willing to, to put in that kind of uh, effort to save to put away the max in, in retirement accounts to get a good plan on your team, get a good CPA. And a lot of people, you know, you buy, you're a doctor, you worked hard and you buy a big house, big cars and private schools for the kids and, and you're working until your 60s. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you enjoy. Like if you like that, that's great. I just want everybody to do exactly what they want to do. Burnout's a big deal. Um, I know that they talk a lot about it mm-hmm. um, with, you know, fiance's friends. Her name's Christine, by the way. But, you know, her her friends and stuff, they're always talking like, oh, is it, you know, physician burnout, physician burnout. And it's a real thing. And, uh, you know, you just got to fight it with coming up with what's important to you. Like when I figured out what my goals were when I was initially working in corporate America and I realized, hey, I want to be traveling around the world for a year. Suddenly all the money that I had going into savings made sense and like there was a reason for it behind it existing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you identified and, the goals and then you set forth the goals and actually put, when you were assigning those dollars that you made a task, the task was travel the world and it meant something. Yeah. It wasn't just yeah, a number. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, you know, for me at that point, like I maybe didn't enjoy work as much as I should have. And, you know, waking up at 530 in the morning to take the train in to go do bond trading, like it was fun at times, but then at other times it was challenging. And so, you know, I, I just decided, hey, this is something I want to do. And, and then it, I, I was way happier when I had a goal in mind, like when I had a specific thing, like, hey, this is what I want to do. It was hugely different. Just the, the mindset even, like I could just come in and enjoy myself because I knew exactly what I was doing and how long it was going to take to get there. And I think that's the scariest thing is when you're looking at this PSLF stuff, like people are just terrified that some person's going to come out of nowhere and just demand, you know, 300,000 from them all at once. And they're going to have to live like paupers all over again Mm -hmm. because they already lived that way during fellowship and residency. And now they're going to be in attending and they're going to owe all this money and they're going to be totally screwed. And the only way that happens is if you go buy a house that's three times your income and lease a brand new BMW and you know, spend all your money and all you do is like the match at work, you know, 4% for retirement. Yeah. Like you could be in big trouble, but if you're kind of thinking about your finances from a situation of abundance and not living a doctor's lifestyle, like they popularize in TV shows, then you'll be in such good shape. Medicine such a good career, so stable. You can make of it what you will. The, the thing with medicine is just, there's more ver- variability, right? Like yeah. you've got a way bigger high end and you know, it's still still a high income, like low end, but from a net worth standpoint, gosh, like there's teachers that are worth a lot more than a lot of surgeons out there just because they just spend everything they make. Yeah. And it's a tough thing. And one of the reasons why I'm starting this podcast is because I know at Physician Wealth, like eventually I'm going to cap out and it's probably going to be pretty soon in terms of number of clients I can handle. I want to expand my knowledge and help people. And so I created this financial residency podcast to give them the training and and to help them out financially with their, I guess, with their education, because they never received any formal training in school. Like, and I'm not talking about like actual training, I'm talking about financial training. They never, they never took a class on, on how to budget or, uh, you know, everything, you know, how to spend responsibly and, and what the ramifications of their spending is going to turn into or how to invest or what stocks or bonds are. You know, some of these very basic things that you and I take for granted because we, we love this stuff and we're kind of sickos with it. But, huh. but most people, they don't know that and it's not their fault. I talk with clients and prospects all the time and they say, you know, hey, this is probably a dumb question, but and I know what's coming after it. And, it. and it's not a dumb question. You're not expected to know. You're not expected to be an expert in student loans. You're not expected to be an expert in financial planning. It just, we go to school, we train for this. This is what we did. And physicians, they look at it differently and it's different. My wife is significantly smarter than I am. I mean, perfect scores, ACT, SAT. 
Hey, me been, too. She just got published in the journal Cystic Fibrosis and was like, oh, yeah, no big deal. I'm like, what? Like, that's amazing. It, it was nothing to her. And this is something that I thought was, you know, celebrate the wins. I was like, let's have a party. Let's call, you know, everyone we know. Let's do it. And she's like, no, no, no. It's not a, not a big deal. But then we we talk about budgeting and finance and all that. And she goes, I have no idea what we spend. I just, I know that if I spend too much, you're going to tell me I spend too much. You know, she doesn't balance a checkbook, which I guess isn't a, a thing these days, but the concept still stays, right? She's not involved in the finance, doesn't want to be involved in the finance, doesn't understand a lot of the investment stuff. And she's lucky to be married to a financial planner that likes it, understands it and, and knows the pitfalls. But not every physician is is afforded that. So it's one of the reasons why I definitely created the podcast is to help them with the education and to, to get them thinking differently. You know, is is worrying about public student loan forgiveness a viable thing? Yeah, you should probably be a little concerned, you know, about your student debt and what you're doing, but don't let it consume your life. Live your life. Understand why you're making these choices and educated decisions. And, you know, I really appreciate, uh, you know, all of the the advice you've kind of dropped here. And and uh, I hope people really take a look at what you're doing. And I, I can tell you, and when tough student loan issues arise, Travis is my go-to guy. And I'm very knowledgeable and understand the ins and outs of student loans, you know, but I like having another expert look at stuff as well. So Travis, can you tell everyone a little bit about where they can find out about you and your services and, and everything? Yeah, for sure. If you go on studentloanplanner.com, you'll see, on your, if you go on your desktop, you'll see across the top, there's a hire me button. You can click on that and there's like contact forms on there. But the easiest thing to do is just send me an email, travis at studentloanplanner.com, travis at studentloanplanner.com again. And that's just, you send me an email, tell me what your situation is, tell me what your big concerns are, you know, just getting married, I've got 200000 and married to somebody that's making 300000 and we're worried about PSLF or, hey, uh, I'm about to take this job um, in a private practice group and I'm concerned about getting the best refinancing deal or, hey, this is uh, what I've got through this bank that I was about to click the button on and I just wanted to see if this is the best I could do. Uh, whatever it is, just like if it's student on anything, just send me a note and I'll be able to tell you what I think I could do for you, if anything. I mean, sometimes I can't and I'll tell you that too. If you go on the, the website, studentloanplanner.com, if you want to follow along like specific things, just doctors, you'll see in like the categories, you can click doctor and you'll see all the stuff that's relevant to that. Uh, and then you want to make sure you get the calculator too. That's really valuable thing people tell me. Um, it definitely that is. Calculator yeah, so is awesome. I, yeah, I got, a, I got a landing page for that now. So you just go to studentloanplanner.com slash calc, C-A-L-C. You'll be able to get on a landing page, enter your info, and they'll send it right over to your email uh, and you can play around with it, see what your repay payments are going to be in the future, figure out when the income threshold is going to be, where you're going to have to switch over. It's pretty powerful, so you definitely want to get that because it's free and everybody likes free stuff. And you know, another thing I'd say is um, I'm not trying to help everybody. I know that some people prefer to self-provision on things, and, and that's fine. But I would say that there's just too much money at stake. And even if you think that you are doing everything that you possibly can be doing to benefit with your student loans, you're probably not. Probably 10% of people are doing everything they can, but 90% of people from the statistics that I have from the clients that I've had that I've done reviews for have been doing something that was costing them in excess of $10,000. So my fees are $249 for an individual and $349 for a couple that are both borrowers. And you know, for the value of knowing that you're doing everything you possibly can, sometimes I have people that were making a $100,000 mistake or about to. I think that that's probably a no-brainer. And, and if you value your time as a physician, if you make more than $50 an hour, you'll spend at least three hours on the phone with Federal and Servicing trying to figure everything out. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, like to, I like to think that the service pays for itself really fast. It's going to be some of the best money they've spent. You know, working with an actual financial planner will involve a little bit more money and time and commitment. But for just student loans, you know, a flat fee is extremely affordable. And it really sounds like it'll be the best money they've spent in a long time. Even though it might not be the most fun, it'll definitely have the most benefit, long-lasting benefit for them. Yeah. You know, another thing for your listeners, Ryan Service is an incredible value. I mean, it's a lot of people that specialize in physicians. Usually when people say they specialize in physicians, it's because they specialize in making commissions off of physicians. And uh, I can say, you know, that Ryan's somebody that is someone that charges a very fair price for exceptional service. 
And if you can get a flat fee planner like that, that's like the best thing you can possibly get on your team if you don't consider yourself somebody who's, you know, loves digging into spreadsheets and thinking about finances all day. So you want to find somebody who's, you know, that you drive with, obviously, but that charges a fair fee for what they do. And, you know, I would jump at that, Ryan, before you get capped out, dude. I think yeah. you probably need to hire some more people because that's a, a great cost structure and a great value proposition, I think. I appreciate it. No, that that was unsolicited and, and, and uh, surprised. So thank you. I, I appreciate that. Ed. You know, it's one of those things where I'm building out my own life practice, right? I don't envision it growing to, uh, you know, five advisors and 600 clients and, you know, billion under management or anything. Like, that's just not uh, not what I want to do with my time of my life. My kids are important and spending time with my family is important. So it'll definitely be me and, you know, 85, 90 seats on the bus. And, uh, you know, that I'm very selective currently with who I work with and and all that. So I uh, I appreciate the kind words though. Well, yeah, I mean, and hopefully you get me before I just blow up too, because having had 400 clients, it it is challenging sometimes because people, you know, kind of Absolutely. get your phone number and reach out to you and want to talk and think it's just very difficult. So, well, yeah, you're I providing mean, an awesome service for a really affordable price, and you know, people are noticed that and people are jumping on it, and you are saving. What was the average uh, savings you you save your clients? Average savings achieved right now is about $63,000 wow. uh, for 440 clients. Average debt load, 274000 for physicians. I've seen everything from 50000 that you need to refinance because mom and dad helped with most everything to 800000 lived in New York City, supporting a bunch of kids mm-hmm. You know, as a single parent. Uh, I've seen everything in between. There's kind of nothing that surprises me anymore. But yeah, so I mean, you know, and that's and that's the savings that, you know, I don't count like the PSLF savings for somebody that was already on PSLF and already knew about it. So like mm-hmm. that's just savings that like I find. So that's you remarkable. Know, a lot, for a few hundred yeah, bucks, I mean, they can save sixty plus thousand dollars is a no brainer to me. On average, right? So some people yeah, save a couple course. thousand, some people save a lot more than that. But of course. Um, but yeah, and then sometimes I just you know confirm that they're on a good path, and they're like, oh thank goodness, like you know, like so when you go to the doctor and you get a checkup and they tell you there's nothing wrong with you, you're like, yeah, you know. Yeah, nothing like some great validation. That's another reason to have a party. I, I like reasons to have parties, apparently, but that's another one. You know, you go see Travis and he tells you all all is well. You know, that's a good sign as well. Yeah. And now it's time for the curbside consult. We've got a physician that's participating in PSLF, six years of uh, qualified payments, and they're just starting to make some real money as an attending. Mm-hmm. Their question would be, what happens to my loans and repayment amounts when I no longer qualify for IBR? The first thing that you got to make sure is that you actually don't qualify anymore. A lot of people think that they won't, but if you have 300000 in loans and you've got a 200 something thousand dollar income, repay is still going to be less than the 10-year standard cap, so you can stay on that and not worry. And furthermore, you can max retirement accounts and further keep your income low and keep yourself below the cap. So first off, I tell them, make absolutely sure that you're actually going to hit the cap. If you are, then you want to be on IBR pay. It's supposed to be based off of the original 10-year monthly payment that you would have had to pay to pay off your original loan balance when you exited school to pay off the loans in full in 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. So not including all the interest accrual that's happened in the meantime. Mm -hmm. I've got a bunch of people in this Facebook group that I've been seeing freaking out about Fed Loan Servicing telling them something different, but I've showed them... It's literally in the federal like documents that that's how it's done. You know, yeah. if, if somebody's ever, if you're going through something like, please reach out to me, worst case scenario, if it's really bad, I'll hop on the phone with Federal and Servicing and just rip these people a new one, you know, because they just are making stuff up and that's not acceptable. So I would say that you don't have to worry, like you're supposed to cap out at the 10 year standard plan. And so you'll make maybe, you know, four years worth of payments as an attending of, you know, three, four thousand a month, and you'll still have a couple hundred thousand left over to forgive, or maybe a hundred thousand left over to forgive. Mm-hmm. But that's still a lot better than refinancing. And furthermore, there's always a lag on when the income certification happens. You know, so in other words, the first year you're attending, your payments probably don't change until about halfway through. And then they reference your tax return from the prior year when maybe you were in attending half the time, and then your payments go up maybe a significant amount, but not as much as if you had had the full year attending mm-hmm. income. Even somebody who only is going to be on an attending salary for four years, for the last four years of PSLF, they might be on a standard capped payment for only like two to two and a half years of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would tell the person, don't worry about it. Awesome. That's great advice. Okay. So the next one, physician hasn't planned on utilizing PSLF, but they want to refinance. 
you know, where should they start? What's the process like? And I know that you've got um, some pre-negotiated discounts for some uh, of the private student loans. So maybe mention that as well in the answer. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you're going to refinance your loans, I've got about 95% certainty that I'm going to find you the best deal that exists, period. You know, there's always some random, like, you know, professional society stuff that might be negotiated with somebody somewhere that I don't know about. But uh, in almost every single case that I've seen, I've been able to get a better rate for somebody if there's a better rate that exists. And it's not just a better rate, it's the best rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's my goal. You know, there's other websites out there, you'll see links to refinance or, you know, whatever. And those sites generally keep the entire referral bonus for themselves. And so my thought process was I'd rather split that with readers and clients. So I try to negotiate the max cash bonuses that they'll give me to give to clients and readers uh, on my website. So studentloanplanner.com slash refinance. Well, you can actually just uh, go to the website and see it, but refinance dash do student dash loans, I think. I probably just want to click across the top bar on my website to get that. But, you know, I've got bonuses anywhere from 100 bucks for L5 to 500 bucks for Common Bond. And I've got deals where uh, I can't even say it uh, kind of publicly because, you know, I just have these things that I can do for clients that I can't even mention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Pr- private deals that I've negotiated and I'll be able to use those for you if you're a client uh, and probably beat basically anything that's out there. So regardless of what situation you're in, you know, I can find you a better rate. And then I can even help bend the rules sometimes in terms of when you can apply. If you're still a resident and you'd rather not do repay and you'd rather just refinance and lock something in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but your contract is in, you know, you've signed a contract eight months before your start date and the max that they'll do is six months until your start date for using that for refinancing to lock in a lower rate. Maybe I can help with some of the relationships that I have in the rules so you can apply anyway. There's a lot of different things that you know, I'm able to do just because of this, the super niche focus that I've got where all I do is student loans. And I know a lot of these people because I'm just dealing with it all day. So if you want to refinance and do it on your own, like, you know, okay, but you know, I'm going to find better deals than, um, than even that exists on some of the most popular websites that doctors read. And the typical of- person's going to, these cash bonuses are a few hundred bucks. So, I mean, that almost pays for your whole fee. Really. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. Getting yeah, your advice I'm, almost for free, right? Yeah, I mean, like, that's kind of the goal. And, and not everybody needs that. Like, some people would prefer just to click on the links and shop for their own rates. And that's great. Like, that's awesome. You know, I, I love that. If somebody wants to talk like variable versus fixed and uh, what's the benefit with this lender and, you know, how much term life insurance do I need and, like, should I co sign uh, mm-hmm. for better rates for my spouse who also has loans and what does that mean when I co sign and what's the benefit of doing like a 10 year versus a 15 year versus a five year? And kind of talking through all the really technical things about what that means for your life. Like, that's why I charge the consult fee for that kind of call. But if you just want to contact me at Travis at studentloanplanner.com and maybe you've already refinanced, uh, send me a note of what you want to get and what you have. And I'll tell you if it's possible for free. Like, I'll just tell you, like, yeah, you could get, probably get better than that. Here's where you could go. You know, so the, the benefit there is not doing the consult just for, you know, the bonuses. You can get those on my website. I want to really have a valuable conversation and then go to bat for you with some of these places to try to play banks off of each other and try to get the best deals. But yeah, I mean, as a general rule, who should refinance? Who should go for PSLF? If you have a really small amount of student loans, probably you should refinance and just pay it off. You know, so like 100000 or less as a physician, probably should just pay that off. If you're in a uh, private practice, obviously you should just refinance and pay it off. If you're a 501c3 physician, obviously you want to try to go for PSLF and then if you owe like way more than your income, like if you're like a primary care doc in a private office, you know, with like three, four hundred thousand in loans and only like hundred thirty thousand income, that's probably like the, the only scenario where a physician wants to go for one of the long term twenty to twenty five year loan forgiveness options. And that's something that's a little bit different kind of niche. I, I very rarely see that. Like there's so few yeah. people have that debt to income ratio in medicine where they're working at a, at a, you know, for-profit type employer. It's kind of interesting The PSLF, I think is just going to result in way fewer primary care docs, or at least, you know, it's a huge disincentive to be a primary care doc. Cause why would you do three years of training and then go be a family doctor making 130, 40,000 when you could go do six or seven years of training, have your loans forgiven at the end of it, you know, at a 51 C3 hospital, you know, as a cardiothoracic surgeon or something like that, and then go to a private group and make, you know, tons of money and have no loans. I mean, why it would just you be a primary care doctor? It them. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a huge disincentive. I've written articles on, on my website about that too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll see. 
I think positions will get the PSLF party for, you know, a couple more years. Uh, we're not going to see anybody get it until 2020, like in, in huge volume, because that's when the, the direct loans started being issued for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, basically people can chill until 2020 because that's when we're going to know something. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll, we'll, have a couple see. we'll see how that works out. Yeah. yeah. But, well, I mean, thanks for having me on the podcast, Ryan. And, uh, you know, I just say check out your services and studentloanplanner.com and just try to get the help that you need in your life. Like don't do medicine by yourself, right? Like get people around you, whether it's uh, people to help with childcare or, you know, cleaning your house if you don't like doing that or whatever it is, you know, free up stuff that you don't like to do, like eliminate that in your life so you can focus on just being happy and just not having to think about the stuff you don't like. That's great advice. I, I do have one more question for you. Oh yeah, sure. As a new resident, I want to try and qualify for public student loan forgiveness. How do I go about certifying my payments every year? You know, should I file my taxes separately from my spouse? Should we file jointly? You know, how do I work through those details? Yeah. A lot of times the residents are married to another resident and then it's real easy. Mm -hmm. Um, If not, like one time I had somebody who was married to a professional athlete. That's really complicated and it's, it's very niche and, you know, we can... I can do that kind of analysis. It's just real weird um, to, to be honest. Yeah, that's a little abnormal. Yeah, yeah. But you've got some situations where like somebody might be making like 100000 married to a resident. Uh, the, the spouse is not in medicine and med- the resident is. Um, generally speaking, you know, PSLF always shows up as the best. And if there's a big income difference at all, big meaning like greater than 20000 mm-hmm. it's probably not a good idea to file se- taxes separately because the tax penalty is usually greater than or equal to the lower student loan payment that you get. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would just tell people like, generally speaking, which is always a dangerous thing, there's always exceptions, but Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you don't want to file taxes separately. It's usually a bad idea because if you are unsure about loan forgiveness and you have the option of having money go to taxes or having it to go to a smaller loan balance, you'd obviously rather it go to the smaller loan balance, Mm -hmm. assuming that those dollar amounts are equal. And 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 how do they go about certifying uh, their payments every year? Just send in a, the PSLF certification form, Google search that, and then print that out, fill it out, have your um, residency program manager sign it, and then just mail it in to Fedloan Servicing and just do that like once a year. As soon as you make a, your first income-driven payment on your loans, just send it in and just do that at least annually. I suggest twice a year and keep good records. Just put a little folder somewhere with your loan certification the docs and just put them in there. And, and then it's pretty straightforward. You know, you're just... Basically, just creating a paper trail is all you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and once yeah. they've once they've put that together and and started the certification process, is there an easy way for them to keep track of how many payments they've gone through and what their their number out of the the magic one twenty is? Generally speaking, federal and servicing tells them, but but they're often pretty off. And so, if you have problems with federal and servicing, you know my suggestion is just uh, keep calling them back and escalating until you find a manager that you're comp- you know that's competent that you can deal with mm-hmm. uh, and then just try to figure out a way to get just directly in contact with that one person you and know? It's, the, it's the documentation trail right is what I tell clients is document everything make sure you get it in writing from the servicer if you've had a conversation ask them to follow up via email to summarize the conversation if you keep submitting the certification forms, and something comes back that they tell you and you're, it's off, you've got the paper trail to go back and say, no, 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 here's what's going on. Here's what I think, you know, it should be, you know, can you verify? Here's my copies. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to get a certification going soon. Like our big mistake was waiting years into the process before we sent in that certification form. Mm-hmm. You know, if we had done that sooner, federal servicing would have gotten our docs way sooner and would have been tracking us and not having to deal with all this junk that we went through. So, you know, if you get on Fed Loan Servicing's system as soon as you get into residency, then, you know, you're good because you'll have a good paper trail. And if you wait until you're intending to submit the form, you know, you're going to be playing catch up and trying to find, track down old residency program managers and trying to get them to send in docs. And it's just a mess. It is know? a mess. It's a, it's, it's a tough thing to do. So, well, Travis, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. I know that listeners got a huge benefit from listening to you and they can find you at studentloanplanner.com. And I encourage everyone to, uh, to reach out to Travis if you have any questions just related to student loans. Cool. Thanks so much, Ryan. Take care. Holy smokes. That was a fun episode with Travis. 
yes, I did just say talking about student loans was fun. I know I'm, I'm a crazy guy, but that was a great time. Travis, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys got a lot out of that show. I know that I love working alongside Travis. Travis is my go-to guy for really complex student loan cases. I know that if you were looking for some student loan advice at an affordable option, Travis at studentloanplanner.com is a great option for you guys. With that said, next week's episode is going to be completely different. Uh, We're going to be doing a mailbag episode where I've had several listeners call in, and I say call in in quotes, they recorded their voice at speakpipe.com slash physicianwealth. That's speakpipe.com slash physicianwealth. They recorded their questions. Some of them are going to actually be featured in next week's episode that we're going to be playing their questions and I'll be answering them. If you guys find that of benefit, I really encourage you to go to speakpipe.com slash physician wealth and record your questions. It could be literally about anything that's keeping you awake at night that is finance related. More than happy to uh, see if it will be on a future show and to answer those questions. So until next time, talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode has ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com, where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.